welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, Scott. James, how are you this week? I'm doing well this week. How are you this week? I'm good. I had a really fun morning. You had a really fun what? Really fun morning. Got up early as the sun came up, went and surfed. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds like a great morning. Absolutely. What do we have today for our episode? Mm. Today we are going to talk about, um, it's, it's one of the places that we take most of our clients um, as we're starting to work with them. Uh, we're going to talk about what's sometimes called a balance sheet or sometimes called your net worth. Um, I think of it as, um, how much do I have? Very simple way of putting it. So we'll walk through, I think, a very simple way of how can you create a balance sheet or network statement because we know how important it is. And sometimes just seeing everything all in one place helps you to understand uh, what what opportunities are in front of you or what your next step should be from where you are. So what we'll do today is just walk through how do you create something as simple as a personal balance sheet? Why is it important? And then what what can you then use it for going forward? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's... I don't know about you, James, but it's oftentimes the first time I will present to a client their net worth, um, it's eye-opening for them. They oftentimes have never taken uh, a minute, just because we're busy, to, to put it all down on paper. What, what do we owe? You know, who do we owe? What do we owe? And, and what do we own? <laughs> what, what does that look like for us? And, and the thing is, from pl- a planning perspective, it, it helps us and the client understands so much. And then once we understand what's most important to them, we can really look at, well, how can we optimize this, this balance sheet, this net worth statement, the how much do I have, um, to help you get where you want to go as quickly as possible. Yeah, yeah. If you're on that journey, you, you're trying to say, am I prepared for retirement? Or am I prepared to send kids to college? Or am I prepared to buy a home? Whatever, whatever you're trying to do, to know if you're prepared, you need to know where are you. Where, where are you in relation to that goal? Starting with balance sheet or starting with understanding where you are, what you have, is a very good first step. And so, if I'm going to do that, and we're just going to lay out a very simple way, what's what's the first thing I should be looking at as I go about creating a net worth or a balance sheet? Yeah. So, first thing, we're, well, one thing is at the end, we'll mention it at the end, but we're going to provide a, a, a little. Uh, downloadable sheet. So if you want to go, because we're going to name some names of account types and things like that today that we commonly see. So if you want to use that, you can. But this can be as simple as taking a legal pad, putting a line down the middle, putting assets on the left side, and putting liabilities or debts on the right side, and then start adding stuff up. You can do it in Excel as well, right? There's lots of places you can do this. But the first place I would say that we start is let's start on the asset side. That's what do we own? What's in our, what, what do we have? And the place that I would start is start with your bank. Yeah. What do you have in your checking account and your savings account? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and, and oftentimes these are the numbers that people might actually know. You know, when you compile the total net worth statement to the total balance sheet, people are usually shocked, but most people, they have a general idea of what do I have in my bank account? It's probably the app that we check the most. And you start with taking a look, like you said, look at all your checking accounts, look at all your savings accounts, look at, do you keep cash somewhere in the house for a rainy day or for an emergency? Add all that stuff up, and that's the first place you want to start. Yeah, and if you do keep cash somewhere in the house, make sure someone else knows. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you're not the only one that knows who the cash is. Yeah, too many people know, but maybe more than just you. But, you know, uh, all jokes aside, a little bit of cash in the house, not a horrible thing. Um, You know, it was a little while ago, but in like 2007, there was a big wildfire here in San Diego County and rolling blackouts occurred. And, you know, you had to have cash to get gas. And you couldn't go to an ATM to get it at the time. Just keep it a little in cash, not a horrible idea. Yeah, absolutely. And then also with checking and saving, some people, they keep it very simple. They have one checking account and they have one savings account. That's pretty straightforward. All you have to do is you look at the, the net worth statement that you're going to download from the show notes today. You'll, you'll be able to fill in two boxes and there you go. That's the total you have in cash. Other people, myself included, I like to have a whole bunch of different checking accounts for different goals that I have. Maybe it's a vacation fund. Maybe it's a, an annual auto registration fund, maybe it's annual property taxes, whatever it is, and start to save monthly amounts into each of those funds. And so in doing that, one thing this exercise will help for is it will help to see how much do you have total in cash because sometimes it's scattered in a whole bunch of different places and it is good to know how much you have when you have it all together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right. Okay, so from there, the next place I would look, I would write down would be if I have any investment accounts that are not retirement accounts. Mm-hmm. So like if I have an individual account or maybe my wife and I have a trust account or we have a joint account, I would want to put that there with the amount that's there. Yeah. And, and so that's just really anything that's not a 401k or an IRA or any type of quote unquote qualified plan or quote unquote retirement plan. Uh, you get called a whole bunch of different things which can get confusing. It's a brokerage account, it's an individual account, it's a joint account, it's a trust account. They're all kind of the same thing, just the registration is slightly different, but they're all what we'll call taxable accounts. And the important thing about that is that's the money that you have that you don't need to wait until you're retired to fully access. That's money that you can still invest, but you're not required to wait until 59 and a half or 55, depending on the account type, until you can withdraw that money without penalty. Yeah, and I think where you're going with this, just to keep it, keep it simple, right, is if, if once we have that, you have your checking, your savings, a little cash, you have it laying around, whatever your taxable investments are, all of that's really liquid, meaning we, we, if what you're, get the point you're getting to, we can go get it at any time. We don't, it doesn't matter how old we are. There's not hoops to jump through. And so once we know what that is, if you know how much you spend a month, like if you as a family spend, let's just say $8,000 a month and you have $80,000 in all of those accounts, well, then you have 10 months of spending. Right there. Pretty liquid. I'm not saying it's going to be exact. There might be some taxes to go pay, but it can quickly give you a sense of where you stand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it provides a peace of mind of knowing you've got to run one. You lose a job or if you want to start a business or if there's maybe a big expense coming up. When you start to combine some of these things, it gives you that peace of mind of knowing you have. Yeah. And one quick thing I wanted to add, if you ever go do this and you want it to just be helpful to you and your spouse or something like that, one quick thing you can do while you're making this list is when you say what it is, checking, say who owns it, 
like I, if it was my, if it was my, my, so if I'm doing this for Amanda and I, I would say like checking joint at, you know, uh, uh, chase and the dollar amount, right? So I know what kind of an account it is, who owns it, where it is, and how much is there. And the reason that matters too is because titling, meaning like how I hold assets can also matter a lot. And if you hold things the wrong way, uh, or you didn't mean to hold them a certain way, it can end up being not so helpful to you in the end. So knowing that ahead of time, before, if you want to go talk to an advisor or something like that, really great way to come in with like all the info ready to go. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So what, what category should we look at next after taxable investments? Uh, okay, so actually I'm just going to give one little more caveat to that for being joint for, for couples too. Uh, I, I always blow it. Yeah, a friend of mine, their one of their family members died, and um, when they passed away, uh, was married to someone. But it was their in, the account they went and parked money in was in an individually named account. Made it really hard for the spouse to get the money. So the reason I'm bringing that up, how do you hold things, is because it's all about making things simpler for you in the future. Um, that's my end caveat. Uh, next thing we should look at, uh, I want to give it a hybrid score in between taxable and retirement. Do you have a health savings account? If you do put it there, um, cause health savings accounts can be used for lots of things and they have lots of benefits. We have a, an episode on that in the past actually already. So let's, let's start with that. From there, I would go to retirement accounts. What kind of retirement accounts do you have? Um, where are they? Who owns them? And, uh, and, and how much is in them? And to me, this is where, uh, when we work with a lot of people, we find that there could potentially be a need for consolidation. You worked at five companies throughout your career and we never really consolidated anything. So it's kind of a mishmash of, of alphabet soup and 401k, 403b, IRA, rollover IRA, Roth IRA, kind of all over the place and, and could really use a more cohesive strategy. Yeah, and especially because for a lot of people, this is going to be the biggest part, maybe with the exception of their home, of their balance sheet or other network statements. This is where a lot, a lot of money is going to be held. And so you certainly want to make sure that it's organized because you're exactly right. You go through it from job to job to job over the course of your career. And in the midst of all that, sometimes you just don't think about what do you do with your old 401k or what do you do with your own retirement plan. And so it just stays there. Not always a bad thing. Sometimes it's fine, but it's certainly something that you want to address at least to make sure that everything's working towards your goals, to make sure that your different investment accounts aren't kind of disjointed and doing different things, or you're not paying fees that you don't need to be paying by keeping things so disjointed. And that's something that you really want to make sure you're doing because you might have several 401ks or several IRAs, and you can yeah. often do some consolidation there. And like mini pro tip there, if you want to go the next level on this one, go look at the beneficiaries of your old 401ks and IRAs and make sure that they're the person who you still want it to be. If you got divorced while you're in your career and you got to change the beneficiary to your new wife, that won't work out well in the end because it goes to whoever's named. So go make sure the beneficiaries are correct. Yes. Um, It's important. Okay. Well, that's another important thing is we're keeping this very simple as we're talking about making a balance sheet, making a network statement. The reason we're doing this, because within all this, you're exactly right, Scott, there's other things you can now go do. When everything's organized, you see all of your retirement plans in one place. Okay, who's the beneficiaries on all of those? Okay, great. Okay, now how is everything invested? 
Now, what's kind of the risk tolerance in each of these? You can start to go deeper, but it starts with that first step of making sure that everything's organized. You know what everything is, is doing. You have to know where you stand in order to know where to go and to see what the risks and, and opportunities are, which is right. we're not really hitting on them deeply. We've done that in a lot of other episodes around specific topics, and this is one where you kind of bring it all together um, by looking at a balance sheet. Right. Okay, so from there, you know, it, you know, you could have subtotaled up that first grouping we had of checking savings, cash, taxable investments, and that gets you, gets you to like kind of your, your qual- e- easily liquid assets, right? And then your next grouping is really all these retirement accounts. HSAs are kind of their own special little area. They kind of float in their own space because you can use them for a lot of different things. But from there, the other, the other things that you'd probably want to ha- see on your balance sheet side of things would be if you have any 529s for the kids, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think that would be something you want to look at. Any equity compensation, stock compensation from work, so restricted stock units, incentive stock options, non-qualified stock options. If you have any of those, you'd want to list them here. Now, there's really two different components to that. One is what I would think you should list here would be what we call vested RSUs, ISOs, and NSOs, or ESPP, Employee Stock Purchase Program. And those are things that are really yours. Like if you leave, they come with you, right? right? Or you, ha- you at least have the option to, to trigger the, the, the incentive stock options. If they're not unvested, you might put them on like off your balance sheet lower, right? They, they're going to be yours in the future, but they aren't yours yet. Right? Yep. Does that make sense? Definitely does. Yeah. Until they're vested, they, they are not yours. So mm-hmm. put a little asterisk next to that. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't really consider that to be a part of your balance sheet, but you'd kind of, you could note it off to the side. Yeah. Uh, what, what else do you think should be on here? Well, I like um, what you have, what you've said, I think is great. And the thing I like about grouping these is when you look at things like 401ks or IRAs. So, okay, great. That's retirement money. That's kind of, there's a definite purpose to that. You look at checking and savings, and it's okay. That's kind of current in or current expenses money, or that's my emergency fund money. There's a definite goal for that. When you look at things like stock plans, restricted stock units, ESDPs, whatever it is, oftentimes that's the money that you have a lot of flexibility with. It's hey, we want to take this money and plan for you to purchase a home. We want to take this money and and, and really beef up your retirement savings. We want to take this money and allow you to do whatever it may be. So really understanding how much of that you have is really good to earmark because there's so many there's so much flexibility that can provide for you. And and so I wouldn't necessarily add anything to that, but it is so important to know what you have if if again, if you have stock options as part of your compensation, because there's so much you can do with it. Agreed. The the things that I would add to what you've already said is um one, I fully agree with you. I think that a lot for a lot of families, transformation for them financially can come from those specific things, from RSUs, NSOs, and the like, With if they're not living on it and they can actually go build wealth with it. Um, right. it, it can really help them. And, and that's one of the main reasons why I want to see it on the balance sheet is because so often I'll see people who will come in to start working and they haven't paid... They don't, they don't know, they just don't know what they don't know when it comes to stock compensation and how they, how they want to be thinking about it and really what it's for what, and what's essential to them in life and how we can use that to help them drive towards what they want um, as quickly as possible. So it's really important to have that built in. Right. Absolutely. Anything else in that category? Mm, no, it's just, there's lots of detail there. Way yeah, different. Tons of detail there. 
we'll, uh, we've done some episodes about restricted stock people can listen to, but just for balance purposes, make sure it's listed, stock plan, vested stock options, uh, does need to be a big part of your balance sheet, should be a big part, that's part of your compensation. Yeah, okay. Uh, next thing we have is kind of illiquid stuff, or, or other assets that you have. So it's homes, it can be rental properties, if you own a business, vehicles, other personal articles, all things that absolutely should be part of your balance sheet, but we're going to look at these differently because you can't just uh, go spend your you, you can't go spend your home, you can't go spend your car, you can't go spend your business. Um, these are things that are part of your balance sheet, but they have a very different purpose and oftentimes are used for something else other than just uh, financial gain, like your home, for example, it's a place that you live, your car, it's a place something that you use for transportation. So grouping those to make sure that you understand how much they're worth. Um, but they're not necessarily going to treat the same as liquid assets that you have. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, the thing is with the way that we're drawing this balance sheet for you when you're making it yourself at home is you're going from the most liquid. I can get it today if I need it to the least liquid. It will be harder for me to free this up as cash. And that's really important to see. And then it's also really important to look at how much do I have as, as like readily available cash. Is that enough for me based on the style of business that I'm in and the cycles that I go through and all of those things? What if I lost my job? How long would I lose my job? Do we both have a job or does one of us have a job? That whole episode on like how much, you know, how do you think about an emergency fund really comes back to this balance sheet and looking at like, well, what are your liabilities? And like, how much does it cost for you to live a month of life? And how likely are both of you to lose a job at the same time, right? We can go look at a balance sheet and quickly see like, well, are you okay or are you not? Do we need to go right. beef that up or are we good? Right. right, And the th same thing can be said for like, I could own, uh, it was just, I, I was just on, walking on the beach uh, with my, my mother-in-law uh, yesterday and we were walking down the beach in Del Mar and there's this one particular house that's always the most expensive in Del Mar. And um, it, I, she told me that um, the Gates family just bought it, Bill and Melinda Gates, $43 million. Well, guess what? If my net worth was $43 million and it was only sitting in that piece of property, that wouldn't work out very well for me, right? I, I'd, I'd be a millionaire, $43 million, but I wouldn't have any cash. Looking at my balance sheet, I would be in a big, big, uh, tough position if I needed to do anything else other than sit on my lawn chair at the beach. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be fine with that. I'd find a way to make it work, I think. <laughs> I'm sure you <laughs> No, you guys, you're exactly right. This, right. Like, what do you have? What's it worth? And then you can also, but at the same time, for those illiquid assets, um, we'll also look at what risks do we have with those things yeah. and are the risks we want to cover, like homeowner's insurance and auto insurance and umbrella coverage and all these other things come out of seeing this balance sheet. Right. Right. But I think that's enough on that. Well, the one thing I would add, caveat I was for autos, I would label them worth a dollar. Yeah. You could go sell it if you really needed to, but you probably needed to go to and from work. It's a depreciating asset. So I wouldn't really list it as an asset. Personal articles, I think, can be worth listing if you need to, um, just to remind yourself that you should probably cover it if it's worth something above and beyond your house. Yeah. Right? Like if, if your parents, if your grandparents gave you that silver from, you know, it's worth a tremendous amount of money, um, you might want to protect it. So knowing it's on the balance sheet will help us make sure we protect it. Yep, absolutely. But if you absolutely. add all those things up, there's all the assets that you have. Yeah. 
So that's all the assets that you have, which is the, the first part of your net worth statement. But then, of course, the second part is you take what you own minus what you owe. So the other side of that, the other side of the balance sheet or your net worth statement is going to be your debts or your liabilities. Yeah. Where would so we start with that? Should we start with? Let's start with the main stuff. So let's, uh, you know, let's start with the, the kind of consumer personal debt. So we got things like credit cards. You got things like car loans. You got yep. things like personal loans. Yep. Those let's are all going to be. Let's just start with credit cards. Um, credit cards. The first question I would ask as I'm writing this down is, do I pay this off every month or am I carrying a balance? Hmm. Right. And here's the other thing I would add on the debt side of things. Um, uh, the same convention of what is it? Who owns it? Where is it? What's the dollar amount? I would add one other thing, and that would be the percentage rate of interest that I am getting charged by having that debt. Mm -hmm. I want to know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. What's it costing you to have that on your balance sheet? Right. Because we've had the episode before about good debt and bad debt. People can go listen to that. But like, once we know um, what they have, like if we're paying off credit cards, cool. Um, you maybe put down the exact, the balance of it is right now. Cause you're putting on the balance of your cash right now too. So it right. give you a real net worth number. Right. Right. And, and credit cards, like you said, yes. See, is that something you're paying every month? Great. If so, move on. If not, that's probably something that we want to maybe aggressively attack or at least have a plan for, of if that's a high interest rate and it's on your balance sheet, what is the plan for paying that off? Do we take some of the assets, whether cash or taxable account or other things do we consider taking some of the assets we've already looked through to pay that off? And again, this is another area that looking at your balance sheet gives you some visibility to seeing are there some strategic moves you can make to improve what you have going on immediately without, without a whole lot of, of planning or in-depth strategy work. Yeah. So credit cards definitely there. Student loans are another thing. And then student loans, well, what kind are they? Are they private? Are they public? What kind of a payment plan are you on? Just get yourself to know that information. And it's so valuable because then you can look at, well, what are my options and weigh it? Like, is there a way for me to restructure that debt? Or do I like the debt the way I have it? Right. Right. Next, your car loans. So if you have vehicles, what's, have you financed it? Have you financed it through a dealership? If so, do you refinance elsewhere? Do you a credit union or another bank like that? Uh, maybe you don't have a car loan. Great, but making sure that if you do have a loan, if you have financed a vehicle, make sure it's on your balance sheet for the same reasons of the other things. Is there something that we can do with that? How do we want to account for that, both in terms of your, your what we'll call cash flow? This money is coming in. Do you have, how much are you spending towards that? And also understanding, is that something you should pay off or is that something you should just let ride uh, until it's fully paid off according yep. to normal schedule? Yep. Um, cool. Uh I think from there we go mortgages. Do you have? Yeah, one? yeah. You what's the term? What's the interest rate? Um, all good things to know. Yep. Include home equity line of credits with that HELOCs. Mm-hmm. And in line with the mortgage, there's usually going to be a different interest rate. Obviously, different terms, but uh, still a loan against the same asset, the same home, typically. Yep. And then um, I mean we. Personal loans. Personal loans is kind of a catch-all for any type of loan we haven't discussed. People will finance anything. They'll finance a mattress or furniture set or whatever. If you have that, make sure it's on your balance sheet. Uh, 401k loans are something that you'll see people take out, whether it's to have an extra amount of cash for a down payment on a home or whether it's to 
um, pay something else off or just to have liquid cash. Not something we typically recommend doing because if you leave your employer uh, and you don't pay that back within a set time frame, that's treated as a distribution and it's taxable and there's a penalty. But if you have it, make sure that you're including it on your balance sheet. It's funny, when you said personal loans, I thought of my, my father-in-law. Because when we bought our first house in San Diego County, the conforming loan amount was still $417,000. And in our little communities, you're not buying houses for that amount. So we got the conforming loan, and then he gave us the loan on top that made it work. So I, I used to jokingly send him, like when I'd send him his payment, I'd tell him it was like his early social security payment, things like that in the memo line for years. He never caught on <laughs> this episode and catch on. Since then, conforming rates changed. And the, po- the reason we're having you put down the interest rates on all this stuff, what's your credit score? And if you're gainfully employed and have the ability, does it make sense to, re- to restructure any of this debt for yourself? So you can go put that money to work in other places. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. So we looked through assets. We just kind of looked through liabilities there. Is there anything else that we need to be adding to this balance sheet? Well, so you take your liabilities, add them up. You already took your assets. You added them up. Your assets minus your liabilities is your net worth or your balance sheet, right? Yeah. Um, that's, that's really like what, what you have on paper is financial assets, financial capital. Now, if you're um, mid-career, if you're younger, guess what the biggest asset that you have that is not on this sheet? What do you think it is, James? You. Yeah, your human Scott, capital. Frank, what you're number one. In your, in your, like, you know, 20, 30, 40-year career, whatever's 15-year, whatever's left, right? Like, that is a huge amount of, of, of resource. And if you figure out how to go save it properly – you can build a balance sheet really, really um, thoughtfully and strategically. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, you know, um, as we're, the, you know, obviously we talk through what to go build and why and, and to, to, to like get a sense of what are my assets, what are my liabilities? Obviously, we're not going to dive into it deeply, James, but things that I think about when we go look at balance sheets for clients, I was just, we were just, I was having a chat with a client last week. And the chat was about how they're in between homes right now. So the amount of cash that we are holding for them or cash like, you know, on their upper level, very liquid space is pretty large on their balance sheet, but it has a very specific intended purpose. And to me, I think that's what this all comes back to is what is the purpose of this asset? And then for that asset specifically, are you on track to get where you want to go with whatever your next step is. And if you keep looking at the balance sheet in those terms, you can really start to make some smart strategic decisions to help you shift around things on your balance sheet so that you can optimize for the life that you ultimately want. Yeah. Yeah. Fully agree. I'm just thinking about, I'm going to make a balance sheet. I'm going to put James Canole and assign a value to it and show it to Ashlyn and see what she thinks of that. Okay, well, you can't <laughs> lie about your balance sheet, James. I can make whatever number I want for myself, right? Yeah. But like, balance sheet's going to look awesome. Things that we can think about there, right, are things like, well, if you roughly know what you're going to need in retirement, well, how much do you have in retirement accounts now? And then how much are you saving? And with a decent growth rate, what will that be around when you retire? How much do we think we can take out? All of a sudden, we can start to get a sense of, am I on track or am I off track? 
Right. Like, what are the little moves on, what are the moves we can make? What are the adjustments that we can make to help get you where you want to go? Um, hopefully a little bit faster. And then like to the whole stock comp thing, what if you have a huge concentrated position? What, what if your net worth over half of it is sitting in one company and you work for that company, right? That, that could be problematic potentially. So it's just always looking at, well, what do we have and how do we transform this to get you where you want to go? Yeah. That's the whole point of this. But if you don't know where you are today, it's very difficult to make choices about how you can make changes to get where you want to go. Yes. Yes. And, and just a reminder to everyone, go to our website after the show, realpersonalfinance.co. Look for this episode and there will be a sheet that you can use and you can fill this in. So this is a very practical episode. Don't just listen to this and go next. Uh, go download this. Go fill this out. As Scott's talking, you can start to see all the different options, all the different visibility that this opens up as you begin to do it. And this is the first step in all that. Yeah. Take, take action. Take action while you're at it. Subscribe while you're at it. Leave a review while you're at it. Tell all of your friends about real personal finance and you're on your way. Yeah. Slash ask us your, your questions. We want your questions. We want to help you guys. So let us know. That's right. Yeah, that's right. All right. Very good. Well, thanks Scott. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the real personal finance podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co, and there'll be a section on the bottom of each page where you can submit your question for Scott and I to answer in a future episode. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.